Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Before we begin, I wonder if you'll just close your eyes with me and let us just pray. Because this is a, a message that I feel that is going to be for some of you sitting here this morning. And it's going to be a message which I feel that we need to really, if ever there was a time to ask God to breathe on his word, then this morning would be that time. So let us just pray. Father, we honor you and we glorify your holy name. As we gather around your throne right now, we pray that, Lord, you will just breathe on the words that are going to be spoken today. We pray that, Lord, you will make the words alive, that, Father, you will break chains today, and that, Lord, you will cast your light into the dark places of our hearts and our lives, and, Father, you will redeem us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we look to you now as our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning's word or message, I've entitled it, Let There Be Light, which is quite apt given the time of year. And I was quite amazed when we were hearing about the light stations just now. And they're going to be about showing the light or taking the light of God into this community. And before we begin, we're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse, uh, sorry, verse 1 through to chapter 2, verse 2. But before we begin, let me just give you a little bit of background. So it kind of puts a little bit of this into perspective and context, and it might help us relate to why this message is, is relevant to us. Uh, this particular epistle, and it's a letter, an epistle that was written by John, he's the same author that is attributed to writing the gospel, the gospel of John. He's the same author that was attributed to writing uh, the book of Reve- uh, Revelation, and also penning two other letters, Second John and Third John, which if you turn your Bibles too quickly, you will miss those pages. They are very short letters indeed. As a disciple of Jesus, and he was a disciple of Christ, he was one of the twelve, he would have been a first-hand eyewitness and had first-hand experience of Jesus' ministry, witnessing the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings. He would have heard the teachings, and he would have witnessed the resurrected Christ before his ascension to the Father in heaven. As such, John would have been able to write and speak quite authoritatively about matters concerning Christ Jesus and who he is and who he was whilst he was on earth. This epistle, to give a bit of background here, this epistle was written around AD 85, AD 95. So this is 
approximately sort of 50 years after Jesus had ascended. And it was towards the end of his ministry addressed predominantly to a Gentile nation. So whereas some of the other passages, some of the other scriptures are mostly relevant to a Jewish audience and they have their foundations and their roots aimed at a more Jewish background or Jewish upbringing, this was addressed to a Gentile nation. It's likely that he wrote this epistle after he had written the Gospels, but before he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. So as you can imagine, he's written this letter at a time where there are all sorts of doctrines and ideologies and philosophies which are starting to creep in, which are challenging and causing conflict with the deity of Christ Jesus. The fact that you can be saved by grace. And this letter that he writes, this epistle, is tackling the philosophies and the ideologies that were infiltrating the churches and causing believers in Christ to start to fall away. This letter, because it was written towards the end of his ministry, it's effectively a handing down, a baton being passed to the next generation. It's to assure the saints that Christ is who he says he is and that everything that the disciples have testified about is true and they should hold fast to that truth. Throughout his writings, John employs the metaphor of light and dark. The metaphor of light and dark has been widely used in Scripture. Light is often associated either with or used to symbolize purity, holiness, godliness, uh, living upright, life salvation, and the Word of God. It also symbolizes divine guidance and divine wisdom. Whereas the theme of darkness is effectively the opposite of all those things. The use of these metaphors, uh, sorry, darkness symbolizes sin, just to, just to make sure that we understand this point. Darkness symbolizes sin, evil, wickedness, Selfishness, death, hopelessness, and fear and self-doubt. The use of these metaphors are well-rooted in Old Testament scripture, and they're used frequently all the way through the Bible, from Old Testament to the Gospels, even Jesus' teachings, the epistles, and then they are drawn upon throughout the ministries of Peter and Paul. So the metaphor of light and dark symbolizing purity, holiness, the essence of God, and darkness representing the kingdom of, 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 of Satan, these two metaphors are, are used consistently throughout Scripture. In fact, the word light, when I searched it, because that's the kind of geek that I can be, the word light, when searched throughout Scripture, is mentioned over 230 times. It's in 159 verses in the Old Testament and 76 verses in the New Testament. The numbers are not exactly significant. You don't need to write them down. But just note that they occur quite a lot through the Bible. 
And so that makes them something to really look at and take note of. This should give us a little indication that these illustrations are widely adopted and used when talking of the things of God. John was seeking to assure the next generation, like I've said, of faithful Christians that firstly Christ is exactly who he said he is and that they should hold fast to that truth. His letter, when we go through this in a second and expand on it, his letter serves as both a reawakening to some foundational truths of our faith and also as an encouragement to help us endure tough times that challenge us and provoke us to fall back into darkness. Amen? There are probably some of us sitting here this morning that are going through some challenges where we feel that darkness is pressing in, where we feel that darkness is surrounding us. Some of us might be sitting here this morning facing some of our toughest challenges in our faith and feeling that we are tempted to go back to what we once knew, going back to once we want, what we once did because we know it and we know that it brings us some kind of short-term pleasure. But as we listen this morning, I pray that your hearts will be ready to receive the baton that is going to be passed down from Apostle John through his words and some of the expansion of Scripture and that we will receive that baton so that we can walk in our faith. Amen? So let us turn to the Scripture. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 1 through to chapter 2, verse 2. Are we all there? Just give me a little wave if you're there. There's not very many hands. <laughs> Do you all need a little more time? Okay, let us read. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, sorry, what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, 
We make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. Although John mentions the word sin quite a lot in that passage of Scripture, that is not going to be the focus of this message, so you can relax. The message here this morning is to draw us to the attention of the light that shines. The first thing that I want to draw us to and to kind of start to unpack a few of these thoughts And there is so much. As I was reading, there's so many things. I mean, this Bible is crammed with scriptures that reference light. There's over 230 verses. And I didn't think that you would like me to sit here and read every single one this morning. So I tried to cherry pick a few of them this morning and bring these to you. So I'm hoping that as we go through this and you develop some questions or an interest in some of these things, then you'll be sort of stirred enough to want to go home and read this. And unpack it for yourselves. Amen? So this is by no means definitive. But this is to provoke you into being challenged by God's word. Being challenged by what God says about himself. And what he says about us. So that we don't just rely on ourselves and our own feelings and what we desire. But actually we are drawn and challenged by what God is saying that he is capable of doing. And who he he says that we are. Amen. In this context, the the first part of scripture that I want to draw from is is from uh, verse uh, verse 5. It says here, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. Let me hear you say, turn to your neighbor and say, God is light. God is light. Amen. And in him, there is no darkness. No darkness. There is no compromise There is no measure of, there is no dilution. He is without darkness. He is light. In this context, John is declaring and establishing that the light of God is good, it's true, it's holy, and it is just. There's no measure of darkness in him. There is no compromise With his purity. How often when we are sharing our faith with people. Do we feel that sometimes there is a negotiation on the table. As to exactly how pure and holy God is. If he's God. If he's holy. If he's pure. Can we compromise? Can we come to some kind of an agreement here that will allow just a little bit of darkness in him? And therefore, if he's got a bit of darkness, can I also get away with a bit of darkness? Amen. But 
in him there is no compromise with his purity. In Paul's charge to Timothy, and by charge I mean he is commending him, he is uh, committing him, dedicating him to the service of the Lord. At this particular time in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, in his charge he is saying to Timothy, look, you're called into ministry, you're given these responsibilities, you need to behave in this particular way. You need to demonstrate that your behavior, that your, uh, your, your standard of living is, is in line with your calling, with where you are called to be and to go. And as he goes on giving this charge, he says, uh, who alone is immortal and who lives? He's talking of God. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light? If we, can we just go back uh, a slide? Yeah. Which God will bring about in his own time? God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords. And then on 16, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light? God dwells in unapproachable light. In him there is no darkness. Amen? We need to set this foundation this morning for who God is. Because when we start to understand who the Father is, we then start to understand later who the Son is. Amen? And when we understand who the Son is, we start to understand who the sons and daughters are. Amen? And the sons and daughters are us. It's quite plausible that God is the source of light. And again, if we go into Psalm 36, verse 9, in here, the Psalms, David is singing and praising. And in the midst of his singing and praising, he declares, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. God is light. He is holiness. He is purity. He is godliness. He is just. And he's been just and holy and pure from the beginning of time. If we turn in our Bibles now, I would encourage you to actually go through your Bibles. And let's just turn there. If you've got Bible apps, tablets, laptops, computer, PC, desktops that you brought with you. Why don't we just open up those apps and let us just turn to the Word. Sometimes it's good to see these things on the screen. But it's even better to physically find them ourselves. It commits them into our into our minds, and it commits them into our hearts. Genesis 1, verse 1 to 4. In the beginning, I love this story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering 
over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now the earth was formless. Sorry. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. Turn to your neighbor and say, he separated the light from dark. It's quite exciting when we read this excerpt of scripture. Sometimes we skim over it. We dash over it to get to the part where Cain kills Abel. Or there's the first battle. Where's the first battle? Let's, let's flick through. Let's find the exciting part. But there is drama unfolding here. There is the creation unfolding here. There are the foundations, the roots of everything that are going on, unfolding in these scriptures. And as we read this, we notice a few things. And I'm not sure if you've seen them before. You probably have. But let's pick on them anyway. The earth was without form or definition. There was no structure. How often do we look at our own lives and we think, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm called to do. My life doesn't seem to have any real direction. I've got no real structure. I think I know where I'm going. I think I know what I'm doing. I think I've got it all together. But somewhere along the line, things aren't quite going the way that I planned. And here we see that God takes something that has no form and no definition, and he gives it form and definition. We notice, secondly, that darkness is all around. But interestingly, God commands light. Even before the sun, the moon, and the stars are created. Where does the light come from? Does it come from him? Is he the source of light? It goes on to say that he, cure, he calls it day and night. It's a bit of an area of scripture that I haven't personally managed to find the direct answer to. But I'll just throw that out there. Just to confuse you all. He is the source of light. And darkness was all around. But at his word, at his command, light dispels darkness. Amen? As you are right now, whatever you are going through... Command God's light into your life. Declare it. Ask him for it. That his light will shine in your life. That those dark places, those secret places, that he will cast his light into those. What we start to discover is that light is necessary to expel the darkness. And his light is necessary to make things visible. To make things visible. Otherwise, everything that transpires, everything that unfolds, all the drama, we wouldn't see it. It wouldn't be somehow recorded as being important, maybe. 
because it would all be happening behind the scenes and invisible. How often do we feel that sometimes things are going on in those dark places and we just want God's light to shine on them to make them visible so that we can see the evidence of what God is doing. So we notice that his light is necessary to make his creation visible. But we also note that his, his uh, light is necessary for life to be possible. Without his light, life is not possible. We know that physically we need the sun in order to feed the flowers, in order to uh, generate food, in order to generate life upon this earth. So we need physical light. So spiritually, we must need a light in order to feed us. Amen? And that light is God. And the other thing which I spotted, which I hope you all did, is that even in the darkness, even over the deep, even over the formless void that was there, the Spirit of God was hovering. All that potential, all that creative power is in you. Through Christ Jesus, it is in you. If you allow God's light to shine in your life, that power, that creative power will be released in you, through you, not for you or not just for you, but for others. So that just as God created an environment for us to benefit and to enjoy, so too will the words that you speak form environments and form life for other people to embrace and to enjoy and to be brought out of darkness. Amen? In his light, we do not have to fear. King David prayed to the Father exuberantly, declaring, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? In Psalm 27, 1, I think you'll find that. In this instance, he's referring to God as being his source of well-being or the source of life. And in 2 Samuel, he declares that God is his lamp giving him divine direction. So again, we have these metaphors that indicate light. They symbolize light. That God is there in the form of light. Amen? So my first point this morning is that God is light. The Father in heaven is light. So if we turn back to our main scripture in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, this time we're going to be at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Who is, this, who, who is this person? Who are they talking of? Who are they talking about? Jesus. Amen. 
They're talking about Jesus, that he is the one who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay? So whatever condition we find ourselves in this morning, you have an atoning sacrifice who is the light of this world. John is speaking here of the salvation, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the salvation that awaits those who recognize who Jesus is. And he's addressing again, coming back to the background I was giving you at the beginning of this about the philosophies and the ideologies. Around this time, there was a lot of Hellenistic uh, philosophy coming in from, from Greek culture. And there was, a lot of, uh, there was a, an ideology popping up which was uh, to do with, uh, was it Gnostis, I think it is in Greek, which means knowledge. And there was a, a school of thought that says that if I gain enough knowledge... I earn enough uh, points, if you like, to be saved. There is a way that I can save myself through my knowledge and my works. But that's counter to what the disciples were teaching. That's counter to what Christ came to achieve, to accomplish. Amen? We sit here this morning not by anything that we have done, not by anything that we know, but by his grace. Because it was the light that came into the darkness, that paid the price, that suffered on the cross, that died for us, that was resurrected and ascended to the Father. It's because of what he did that we can stand here and declare his blood over our lives. He is the atoning sacrifice. In John's letter, this is a direct assertion about being saved by grace, as opposed to being saved by, his work, by our works or knowledge. These ideologies were still gaining traction. They were gaining more and more traction. Why? Because people couldn't get their head around the fact that you don't have to work for it. You don't have to work to be saved. It is a free gift from God. Jesus paid your debt. You don't have to work for it. And it's an ideology that even back then, this, this same thought process, these same doubts, these same uh, fears about if I don't earn it my way into heaven, I'm not going to be saved. Or if I don't know enough information about this, I'm not going to be saved. These same ideologies and philosophies that we have taking different forms in, 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 uh, in and around this country, in atheism, in other philosophies and, and uh, schools of thought, they're popping up all over the place. But they all mean that you have to kind of do something or, or work in order to be saved. In John 1, we're going to go to his gospel now. So it's the same author. And we're going to go to John 1. And we're going to look at verse 6 through 12. It says here in the scripture, There came a man 
who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, don't panic. I don't think he's writing about himself here. I think he's writing about the Baptist, John. Okay? He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe that he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, how many of you here are familiar with the Baptist John? Is there anyone here not familiar with the Baptist John? The Baptist John, obviously, as we know, was born a few months, uh, uh, was conceived and born a few months before Jesus, I think it was. And he went about um, baptizing people so that they would be ready and prepared for the light that's going to come, the one greater than he. And what we learn here in this particular passage of Scripture is that John is preparing the way. And if we read further on, it says here, He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen? It's talking of a light. It's talking of a light that has come to save the world. He came to his own creation. Or when we go jumping back to Genesis, we see echoes of that in the beginning. Let there be light. And it was good. So they're talking about a light and commanding creation. And this scripture is saying that Jesus was with his father in the beginning. He came to his own creation. Amen? We all follow in. All I'm trying to do here is get you to see that the Father is light. And the Son that was prophesied would be light. Coming into darkness is light. Amen? Let's turn to John 3, 16, verse 19. Now this is a passage that we all know or should know. And if ever you've been evangelized to, pounced upon by a saint who's very eager to declare the word of God to you on the streets, John 3.16 is the first verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever should uh, believe in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Amen? That one is written on the tablets of our hearts. But if you read further, which sometimes we don't do. But if we read further, 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is the light that came to set us free. And he's just ringing to let us know that he's coming again. (laughs) Even Jesus himself, when he was talking to, I think you, you may all recall this moment in scripture, when that adulterous woman was brought before Jesus and they're all gathered around her, accusing her, shouting at her, and they're all about to launch stones at her. And Jesus calmly says, I say calmly because I, I think he would have been calm at that time. He, he simply says, here's a line. Whoever is without sin may cast the first stone. Amen? But then he goes on to say, in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He claims it. He declares it. For those of you who maybe aren't fully aware of um, Hebrew culture and the canon, the, the five books of the law, he was referring right back to Jewish law. And he was referring right back to creation. And he was staking his deity. I am is a deity statement. He's saying that I am the Lord. I am God. And he's saying I am the light. He's declaring that he is the light that was with his father in the beginning. And he's, he's the same light that is here shining in the darkness that was prophesied back in the throughout all Old Testament scripture. So in that one sentence, in that one line, he's now ruffled a few feathers with the Pharisees and the Sadducees about his identity. They are still awaiting the Messiah. They are still upholding the law. They are still doing things which they feel are correct and in line with law to please God. But what they are missing is that Jesus has come to reveal the Father. Amen? There's a discussion that takes place between the Pharisees and Jesus, and he he more or less accuses them of, of being children of the devil because he says to them that if you knew my Father, you would know me. And if you know me, you would know my Father. So Jesus came to reveal the Father, the nature of God, the essence of God on this earth. Light, grace, mercy, peace, forgiveness, redemption. 
He came to reveal. He came to restore. He came to redeem. And he came to give life. Jesus says, I came to give life and life more abundantly. When Jesus comes in the midst, when the light that comes into the darkness comes into our midst, in our darkness, in our circumstances, in our challenges, in our problems, in our temptation, he brings life. He brings life opportunity. He's the same nature that he was in the very beginning. Because in the very beginning, he was light and he brings life. Where there was no life, he brings life. Amen? And again, in reference to himself in John 12, verse 44 to 46, Jesus cries out. I don't know if you've noticed this. Sometimes he says things. Sometimes he declares things. Sometimes he speaks quite abruptly by the words that are used. But here the Bible says he cries out. When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. This morning, you don't have to remain in darkness. The circumstances that you are faced with, the dark times, the challenges, the temptations, the addictions, they don't have to rule over you. They don't have to stay in secret places. They don't have to be hidden. They don't have to chain you down. Amen? You can be free if you invite the light of God into your heart, into your life. And if you declare that he is the Lord over your life, if he is the governing light over your life, all of a sudden, all of these things will be illuminated. And everything that is invisible will become, uh, will become visible. Everything that is unseen will become seen. Not to embarrass you. Not to embarrass you. But so that he can show you. How dark you are inside, in your hearts. How diluted you are in your hearts. And how you need so desperately his light to shine through your eyes, through your heart, into the very core of your being. So that he can bring radiance, that he can bring life, he can bring salvation. And he can resurrect and redeem and restore that which was lost when Adam surrendered. Jesus is the light of this world. If we go back to our main scripture, 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 6 and verse 7. My third point, if the worship team want to be ready in a few minutes. Verse 6 and verse 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as, 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 uh, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There are two lifestyles in this scripture. There's two. They're characterized by the metaphor light and dark. The first illustrates a lifestyle that is characterized by wickedness, an error. And the second is a lifestyle of truth and holiness. Now I know that some of us sit here and say that we, we're never going to attain holiness. And that's true. We probably will never attain Holiness. We will never be as holy as God is. But that shouldn't deter us from trying to turn away from the things that do not please God and try to live a life that is pleasing to Him, to to live our lives in light and not in darkness, to not dilute ourselves or allow things to dilute us and tarnish us. Amen? It's tough. It's difficult because it means sometimes it's countercultural. Sometimes it makes you sound like you're being stubborn. Sometimes it makes you seem unpopular. Sometimes it makes you seem self righteous, pompous. Arrogant. But I would rather stand before God and give account for the things that I've strived to do but not quite achieved than given up and handed over myself, my soul, to the devil. We need to be vigilant as to what we are drawn to, what we celebrate, and how we display Christ to the world. Luke 11 says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. The word of of God encourages us to stay true to our faith. And feed our minds and our conscience, our bodies, on things that are good for our relationship with Christ. The book of Matthew declares this over us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Stop hiding. 
Stop hiding. God sees exactly where you're at. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. Why don't we just stand to our feet? Let's just prepare ourselves. We've heard the word of the Lord this morning through his scripture. We've received the seeds of what he has sown. For some of us today, God is asking for us to recognize his light. Doesn't matter how many times you attend church. Doesn't matter how many hallelujahs you shout or how loud you shout hallelujah. Doesn't matter how many coffees you serve. We all need to be in awe of God of his radiance and glory and we need to be reverent to him not to become distracted with philosophy or ideology that can introduce darkness back into our hearts or draw us away back into darkness to those things that we used to do those places we used to go for some of you today God is saying that you need to step into my glorious presence and allow my light to cast out all darkness all sin and all error. You need a fresh revelation of who I am. For I am the Lord your God. I am the God who has since before time. At my command, says the Lord, I created and gave structure and gave shape and gave definition and gave life and gave light where there were none of these things at my word he says for some of us today we may be sitting here feeling that our lives are engulfed in darkness it doesn't matter what choices we seem to be making it doesn't matter what decisions we seem to be Uh, coming up with doesn't matter where we turn doesn't matter what friends we surround ourselves with darkness seems to have gripped us sin seems to have gripped us fear has isolated us 
pride is tearing at our soul and holding us back into the darkness that we so despise. We know that these things, things in quotes, these things are not good for us. And yet we still go back to them like a dog goes back to its vomit. Jesus has shone his light into the world. He has overcome fear. He has overcome anxiety. He has overcome depression. He has overcome death. And he has overcome sin. Those chains have been loose. This morning, if you feel that you are a captive to those things, if you keep putting your shackles back on, if you keep imprisoning yourself to what you have been used to, if you keep talking the same way that you talk, you talk in death over your life, then Jesus has shone his light. He has undone those chains and he has set you free. You may not know Jesus Christ. Or you may just need to bring yourself back into relationship with him this morning. Make him first in your hearts. First in your faith. First in your life. I know that no matter how often I try and do things right, I will always fall short of the glory of God. But I will always try and pick myself up and carry on. And I implore you, brothers and sisters, you need his light to shine. And for some of us, finally, we may need to simply remind ourselves of our need to be the light. To be encouraged that as bright as we are right now in this moment that we are standing in, as bright as we are as we are standing before him, as blameless as we may be as we are standing before the Lord our God, we can still shine brighter. We can burn ever more so brightly for Christ. What changes in our walk of faith can we make today? What have you been challenged with this morning? That in your heart you're thinking, I need to change this. I need to stop doing this. I need to do more of these things. I need more of Christ. Let us take the baton of faith that has been handed down to us today from Apostle John through his words, through his epistle. And let us begin to run with confidence the race that has been set before us. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, 
We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.